0: Talk about your psalms, talk about John 316, Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother. China, Ravish and Rick. We are the generation that he. You make your rules and we will break down. But to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And I'm saying, woo! And there is no one that does it better than the Macho Man Randy Savage. The Rock is gonna take his big right hand. He's going to raise the people's eyebrow. He's going to lay the
1: smack down on your candy ass. If you
2: smell what the Rock is cooking. Hi, everyone. This is Neil Pruitt from Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. You may have heard this voice before. The New World Order. I was the producer and the voice for the New World Order. You're listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. This podcast has not been sanctioned by the New World Order. Hey everyone, this is Guy Evans, author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, and you are listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast.
1: Welcome to an all-new episode of the Wrestling Basement Podcast here on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Cruise Control Podcast Network. You can follow me, the host Randy Cruz, on Twitter at R E N D Y, the letter J C R U Z, and I'm joined by Vaughn Johnson, the digital platforms producer for the Philadelphia Eagles, who's on Twitter at Vaughn M Johnson. Vaughn, my man, how you doing?
2: I'm good, bro. How about you? I'm chilling out here.
1: Doing good, man. Can't get playing you all the way in, in Philly. I'm in New York. We're trying to, you know, keep being being occupied and in, 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 in the summertime, be healthy. Um, how you been though, man? Been a long time.
2: Man, I've been I've been holding up as much as I can, man. uh Just out here working, getting ready for what's hoped to be a season coming up in twenty twenty for the mm-hmm. NFL and right. You know, just maintaining.
1: I hear that, man. Um, listen, man, I I've 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 been a Viking fan since forever. I'm um, hopefully that they get this thing rolling for what we see in baseball. It's looking shaky already. <laughs> Basketball starting real soon, so can't wait for that. But the football is—I uh, don't know, man. I hope they're seeing what the NBA and, 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 and baseball is doing, so they can not do what they're doing in, in certain aspects. You know.
2: Look, I have a personal stake in hoping that things don't go awry. So hopefully everything's going good. <laughs> it was good, but you know. It's a, we're on uncertain certain time so you just never know but knock right. on wood that you know everything is copacetic and you know we can get some games in
1: i hear that um so here in the basement man um this th- this is what we do we we, we we sit down we chop it up we talk about some throwback retro wrestling topics today i got you one because you are born and raised in philadelphia so when i see that The light bulb goes off, and I'm like, hmm, ECW. I got to have an ECW convo with Vaughn, my guy." So before we get into that, uh, I ask everybody who comes on for the first time the same question. The question is, what made you, what made Vaughn a big-time wrestling fan? Was it a a match, a pay-per-view you went to, something you saw on TV, um, anything? Like, what, What made you begin to love the sport of professional wrestling?
2: So, for me, it was it was multiple things. When I was really young, like three or four, maybe five, this was like the new generation era of WWS, so like mm. 93, 94, 95-ish. Okay. And my brother watched at that time. So, I was kind of into it because he watched it. Uh, but obviously, you know, in hindsight, that wasn't like a, the greatest time in pro wrestling. So, no. I, like everybody else, kind of just fell off of wrestling for a couple years. Mm. Until like 98, 99, when everybody hopped back on board. Yep. And I hopped back on board because... It was the buzz. Like every every time I went to school, everybody was talking about what Steve Austin did, what the NWO did. Mm. I was like, I gotta check this out now. And then I checked it out, and I was just, I, as a kid, I think I was just mesmerized by it. Like it was just it was something. I don't know. It was something. It just caught me. Like, and I was full fledged like regular sports fan, but I was just enthralled by pro wrestling. It was, mm. the, you know, it wasn't just the action because you, you think back to like the late nineties the wrestling wasn't like superb. Like the wrestling today in ring is miles better than what you saw back in the late 90s, just from an in-ring standpoint. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just the in-ring that caught me. It was the drama. It was the excitement. It was the characters. Right. It was, you know, people that were over, people that you didn't like. The heels were over. The baby faces were over. The crowds were crazy. It was just, it was something that you had to watch because everybody else was and you had to be a part of it. And as like a eight, nine, 10-year-old that's what sucks. That's what sucked me in. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was the buzz and also just uh, like I said, the, the, the characters. I and mean, how could you not see Steve Austin at his in his in his heyday? Yeah. And not want to watch him week after week after week. How can you not see The Rock in his heyday and not want to watch him week after week after week? And I wasn't the only one. Millions of people were watching. Same goes for the WCW. We got to give WCW their, their credit too. They were drawn in big numbers until you know. Obviously, it fell off near the end, but they did well for themselves for a little while. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, that period, that boom period in the mid late '90s was that's what drew me in, and I've been hooked ever since. It's just, it's like, it's like a drug. Like you start off, and it's like that <laughs> intense, like high yeah. at first. and It's like, man, like this is the best thing ever, and and after a while, it's not quite the same because you get used to it and you become jaded. And mm-hmm. uh, by the way, PSA: like, don't do drugs, kids. I'm not saying I'm not advocating for <laughs> drugs. And I don't do drugs, but yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thanks. This is what I've heard from, you know, research and stuff like that, but uh, just to make that clear. But, you know, when you're a kid, it's all great when you're a kid, mm-hmm. and obviously as you get older, there's different reasons why you stick around, but I've been stuck in a, sticking around since through thick and through, through very thin times, as we are in right now.
1: So, before I give you my answer of what, you know, what made me become a fan, have you... Have you ever felt or have you ever checked out of watching? Where you, you know what? I'm not going to watch it for a month or two or maybe a year. Have you ever gotten to that point yet?
2: Uh, not quite. I mean, I did. Honestly, I considered it when WWE first went to Saudi Arabia oh. and the whole uh, was Jamal Khashoggi thing went down when yeah. he murdered and dismembered and I think, the Saudi consulate, something mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. um, that's that's what really... Because was a big outcry about wwe not going there or you know and it just just still happened and i was like man that's wild like to me you know why would you do business with them but obviously just like everybody else it pulled me back in somehow i don't know what but really honestly from 98 until now i haven't really checked out for a significant amount of time
1: Mm. well for me i get the same answer as i do all the time when anybody new comes on here um I think it's 1990. Obviously, I'm I, I am older than you, so I'm showing sure my age here. Uh, <laughs> um, it was Hogan and Warrior WrestleMania six, and um, that puts me at like seven, seven going on eight, and you know I would tend to like my first pay per view that I saw was SummerSlam '89, and that was here. That was in in Jersey. I seen Warrior and, and Rude for the IC title. There's a main event of Macho and Zeus against uh, Beefcake and and, and, and Hogan. Um, but then liked what the match the, the match that made me be a fan was the Hogan Warrior because I was a big Warrior fan. I know there, there were a lot of Hogan fans at that time and both were big time fan favorites and I would just in love with the Warriors uh, face paint and the, the tassels and the colors and the promos and on uh, the, the the music and I liked Hogan to a degree back then, like I'm more of a Hollywood Hogan fan than the 24 inch Python Hogan red and yellow guy but I saw the match and uh, you know, I think my dad ordered it on paper uh, on pay-per-view for me and I saw it like I saw the whole entire Wrestlemania but like this this is the match that like shit, I, I got a I gotta keep watching it. So it was Superstars. It was main event. And it was this. And this Survivor Series, Rumble, and so on and so forth. So um I say Warrior Hogan from WrestleMania 6. And to be fair, I checked out uh I, I don't know I don't know why, but I think it was the beginning of the Rufus Aggression era. I think well yeah. if you're going if you're going at the end of the Attitude era. That's when I took a little step back. I was getting closer and closer. Like you know what? I, I don't. I don't. I don't have to watch Raw today. I'm doing different things. I'm getting older. And quick. Uh, long story short, I'm working at a job with kids, and I'm hearing these kids are saying, "Yo, um, tonight on Raw is gonna be John Cena against Chris Jericho," and I'm like, "Who? Who the fuck is John Cena?" <laughs> oh, <you> know, <laughs> who the hell is that? Yeah, this is like 0304 maybe. And it's, oh, he, he's the world champion. I'm like, John Cena, the world. Like, sh- show me a picture. And I saw him, like, this, <laughs> he's the world champion from Stone Cold, The Rock, and Taker and Hunter. We go to him, and then they kill the, kid was like, yeah, check it out. <laughs> I'm like, All right. I, I, obviously, I knew Jericho. I, I, I'd never heard of John Cena. I checked it out one time, not bad. And then I, I, then I, I still checked out. What got me back in was when Edge became the Rated All Superstar. So mm. he has the whole thing with Lita and the, the 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 New Year's Revolution and the cashing and money in the bank and I was like, all that. Right, I bet so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna check back in. I got a new edge from the Brood in, in 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 '99 '98. So ever since then, man, I, I've been watching it. Even nowadays, it's hard to keep keep track with everything going on with the COVID stuff, and it's like it's, it's very hard to to watch it for me. But I haven't checked out. in 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 that long so i'm doing my best me and you are doing our best to continue watching this thing every single week to see what happens but uh i mean did i feel bad checking out no i feel like i you know a break was needed (laughs) like i saw i saw everything i saw attitude era mother night war nitro what else do i need but when you're waiting for the next big wave to hit like and yeah who knows when that's hitting Yeah, and and that that came Orton, that came Cena, that came Brock Lesnar, that came Batista. I came like, damn, why did I check out now? (laughs) (laughs) But it was like, listen, man, I saw it. It was good, man, good times. But um, like I said, man, always good to talk uh, on on this platform with you. And you are, like I mentioned, uh, Philly native, born and raised. And we're going to get down to the nitty gritty right now. So when was the first time you've seen ECW or heard of uh, uh, heard uh, heard about ECW?
2: I heard about ECW when I was getting back into wrestling, so like 98, 99, 2000-ish, and I would be riding a bus to school and I would hear people talk about, because we were always talking about wrestling, so right. I'm talking about, you see what happened on Raw last night, you see what happened on Nitro, blah, 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 mm-hmm. and somebody would always bring up, but did you see what happened on ECW? And I'm like, What's that? And like, you know, and they were like, "Yo, ECW is the real, it's the real wrestling. Like, those guys are real. Like, none of them dudes in WWF, WCW, mm. none of them could beat Sabu." I'm like, "Who in the <laughs> hell is Sabu?
1: Like, Sabu, to go. <laughs> check
2: this out. Who is who is Taz? Like, who are these guys?" And obviously, I'm like ten, so I don't, you know, I'm not a a, uh, a, dirt, uh, a wrestling observer, newsletter or subscriber, nothing like that. Not on the internet heavy. This is like mm. 2000, so right. I mean, we were, but it wasn't like what it is we even five six years later when people were on the internet heavier, but nowhere near like today, obviously. But so yeah, I was, it, it would come on like uh, a station in, in Philly called Channel 48, I think. And I would check it out there and I was like, this is, this is unlike anything I've seen because I'm used to WWF and WCW, which is bright lights, big arenas, right? Uh, you know, bigger guys, you know, everybody's 6'2", 6'3", 250, and even Steve Austin, who people don't look at as like the biggest guy in the world, but he's still sixty two, two fifty in his you know, in his prime like he's a big dude. Yeah. So in turn of ECW, I mean, I'm looking at Rob Van Dam, not a huge guy. Taz, definitely not no one would ever confuse Taz to be a huge guy, but he was a monster in ECW. I'm not gonna take away anything from Taz.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Sabu, Sam, none of these guys are jacked up muscle heads at all, but they had a the crowds were going crazy for him and it was totally different from what you saw. Right. Well not really totally different but they were just more realistic I should say like they just looked like dudes I would wa- see walking down the street like Sabu I'm sure I'm I probably sat in a bar with Sabu numerous times didn't he, not Sabu Sandman I should say.
1: Ah. I probably sat in a bar
2: with Sandman numerous times and didn't even know it because he just blends right in with normal people.
1: Right, you're right. Yeah, I think for me man Hearing about ECW again, like I said, I'm, I'm older than you, so I'm I'm right in, right in the middle of Attitude Era, Monday Night War, and then this thing comes on. Now in New York, that's they they, they came on New York here in New York like one or two o'clock in the morning, and I would see this they see
2: the paper, same thing here. I believe in Philly. I think it was like like one or two o'clock, and I think I'm pretty sure it's on the channel like 48 here before the
1: TNN deal they got right so they come on late i could be wrong they came on MSG here in new york i could be wrong probably a different channel and i'm flipping i'm flipping the channel like and, and i see these for ECW called 100 for hotlines and like i'm like yo what the fuck is this and i'm seeing like as you <laughs> as you saw the chairs the barbed wire i'm seeing cactus jack i'm seeing vader Oh, uh, Raw Van Dan, the franchise, and I'm like, yo, what is this? And again, it's not Raw, um, it's not Nitro, um, it's not it, it, it's not live. They're not doing this at two o'clock in the morning, and it's no McMahon, no Bishop. It's a totally 360 anarchy kind of thing. Like, yo, for someone who's 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, you know, in high school, they're gonna fall in love with that shit. You know, they love the rest oh, yeah. of, they love what they see on raw and nitro, but they're like, yo, I gotta stay up now at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning because this is something brand new, something different, innovative. And that's when I clocked in and said, Yo, I gotta check out ECW. I may mean, not know all the guys or the, the you know the the storylines per se, but it's like yo, if I could see someone get hit with a, with a chair or the barbed wire, <laughs> and I see Sabu there and everybody's bugging out. It just it just created a a, a a culture of, you know, if you if if you don't want something, we're gonna provide you with this. So the, the, it it was always, it was not as it, it, it was not seen as much as Raw and Nitro, but I guarantee you, a kid that, that was my age at 15 years old was checking out ECW on a nightly basis, weekly basis at two o'clock in the morning.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. This, uh, I was doing the same thing. I was trying to stay up late. I would watch that. And then eventually, when ECW went off, you know, out of business, I would stay, I would come back to see, like, is ECW still on? Because I didn't fully understand that it it says, with WWF bought it? I didn't know that it was done. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't get it. And pretty much, I would go to see what was on. And it's like, oh, there's CZW now (laughs) on TV. I'm like, what the hell? Like, where's ECW? This is like not. It's not like ECW at all. I mean, it sort of is, but it's not ECW. It's CZW. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was I was one of them kids too, staying up super late, uh, trying to see what was happening. But I, the thing is, before it went out of business, I didn't see as much of it as I did after. So after, like when the DVDs started coming out, and yeah. boys, you can go back on the network and watch a bunch of stuff. But like mm-hmm. when I was younger, it was bits and pieces here and there because I'm still watching WWF and WCW.
1: Right, so who would you say was your favorite ECW guy? Like a, a guy who started there. Your favorite ECW, mm. like, like like original. Your ECW original. Your favorite.
2: I would have to go Rob Van Dam. Okay, yeah, the whole that. effing show. Mm, that yeah. was my guy when he first when he, when he first got because I did watch ECW, but when he first got to WWE or WWF at that point, that was my guy, and it was clear that. WWF wanted to do something with him too because they started pushing him a little bit. He was involved in some big angles. But I remember when, uh, like around 03 or so, because um, I'm still carrying the, the ECW Rob Van Dam flag, by mm. that point, this is when John Cena starts coming up and he starts being the guy. Mm. And my homie, he would always be like, John Cena's a man. I'm like, no, Rob Van Dam ten <laughs> times better than him. Are you serious? Yeah. Like, it's Rob Van Dam all day. And he's like, no, John Cena. Now, in hindsight, over the long term, he turned out to be right. John Cena became the man, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, exactly. I didn't think that John Cena had like a 20-year run. Mm. But Rob Van Dam did get that win over Cena at One Night Stand that one year.
1: Classic. It
2: became a double champion. Classic. So, In the short term, I was right. But no, Rob Van Dam was my guy. He was always, he was always a guy that uh, I always thought his style was dope. Uh, he was like the longest reigning TV champion ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in the history of wrestling, I think, something like that. I don't know, but right. uh, he had those dope matches with Jerry Lynn, uh, him and Sabu, which is just crazy tag team stuff they was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's Rob Van Dam was probably my guy.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think um, R.E.D. was my guy as well. And um, if I had to pick like a number two, that's tough. But you know, Sabu was up there. Taz is up there. Um, like I don't now, like I don't count Stone Cold because he well he didn't really fight over there. So uh, the Mysterios, the Eddie Guerrero's, I think they went. I could be wrong. No matter of fact, yeah, they did start there. Then they went to WCW and vice and uh, and all that. So, but I think I think RVD would be the guy. I think he you know the the more the most athletic guy I've seen on the roster, um, the swag, the attitude. You know, jumping into the stands, and plus she was tag team with Sabu, so I think if you ask me my favorite ECW original, it would have to be um, RVD, but you know, again, for those who don't know the timeline, I think me and you pretty, pretty much know it, but I'll, I'll still say it, so you have to go back to to, to, to 93, where Paul Heyman takes over um, ECW after being fired by WCW when he was there doing all the Dangerous Alliance stuff, which... To be, to be, to be—quite uh, frank, that is one faction, one stable. That if you have like this conversation about stables and factions, and you're gonna mention DX, you're gonna mention NWO, the Horsemen, and all that. The Dangerous Alliance is is, is a stable that does not get talked about enough, and like no. it gets it it gets credit, but not as much. And 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 I always I was... wonder why why they don't get talked about enough. I'm so glad you brought that
2: up because the Dangerous Alliance was dope, bro. You had what well, Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, Steve Austin, Medusa.
1: What?
2: It and, and lit, bro. Paul
1: Heyman with the with the <laughs> the big ass cell phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: with the brick cell
1: phone. Hell yeah! Nah, man, they, they don't they don't they don't talk about that faction. I mean, I don't know how o- offhand how long it stood together. Uh, was it on Rick Rude part of that too? Rick Rude, yeah, he was in there too, right? Yeah, I think so. Come on, Bruh. man. They, 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 they don't talk They're about going,
2: it. Mix. Legitimately, they could probably beat everybody up in the business.
1: <laughs> like,
2: yeah. we're going to mess with Rick Rude and Steve Austin and Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. Like, come on. And, and Medusa, they beat people up too. Yeah. Come Shit, on, yeah. man. <laughs> like, I, like, dangerous Alliance, yo, I'm with you on that. They was dope.
1: Yeah, they they, they don't they don't bring it up as much. Um, So, Payment comes on board nineteen ninety three. We fast forward to uh ninety-four, where in this in this time frame it gets renamed because when when they mention ECW, it's really Eastern Championship Wrestling. It's not extreme yet. So ninety-four, yeah. I know I know you probably know all this information, but we'll talk about it in a second. But it gets renamed to extreme from Eastern Championship Wrestling. I think there was a, a, a part where Shane Douglas was was going to fight two cold Scorpio or fought two cold S- uh, Scorpio in a, a tournament for the world title. He throws the NWA title down in the ring um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a NWA tournament that Jim Crockett asked Todd Gordon to hold in the ECW arena in Philly on August 27th, 1994. So, he beats two Co Scorpio. He does he does this this famous promo declaring it the ECW World Heavyweight Championship and calling it Extreme Championship Wrestling. And saying it's the real world title left in pro wrestling. So when you see that, again, no Twitter, no Instagram, no social media, no, no really no the internet is, is is still in the infant stages. So either you have to be there. Or somebody who was doing some some journalistic work had to had to, had to report that, so nobody would know right away. So just right. seeing that, and you know, for what we see in Paul Heyman's documentary uh, DVD about the whole incident, like if that if that happened in the social media world, like that should be trending for like a week. A guy. Throwing down the world title was saying, nah, we're gonna change the entire name and make it Extreme Championship Wrestling." I mean, that was right. a, that was a pretty big uh, a big deal for them.
2: I think so many fans would wouldn't believe it. They would think it's work anyway because we we know too much. So I don't know if people really fully believe it until like the reports will come up. Like, no, this was hundred percent real. <laughs> like,
0: because
2: you know that's just how we are. We're, like even the Adam Cole Pat McAfee stuff, people instantly was like, "Work." Yeah, like that's not worked. real, yeah. But, you know so uh the thing about that, that that show was actually run by dennis corluzzo not jimmy crockett this was like uh early 90s by that point crockett i think was uh gone mm-hmm. um but yeah they were corluzzo and nwa was legit pissed about that which was i mean understandable you double crosses and you threw our belt down and disgraced this once prestigious title mm-hmm. by 93 right it was it wasn't what it was obviously even like five years prior to that but um but yeah I mean that was that was a big deal back in the day oh one last note about the Dangerous Alliance my fault I forgot to mention Bobby Eaton too beautiful Bobby Eaton yeah. also in uh, You're right
1: about Dangerous that Dangerous Alliance
2: almost forgot mm. but um but yeah this was this was massive and this was you know pretty much kickstarted the whole thing before this Eastern Championship Wrestling uh was just a local promotion and running shows in a, in a, in a bar in Center City I don't even know if they had um, they, they've been in the ECW arena just yet. They, they might have just started there or mm. probably didn't quite yet. But uh, before they got to the ECW arena, it was just some shows around Philly, uh, specifically at this, at a bar in Center City, uh, at a sports bar. So it took it from just another, you know, podung independent promotion to a promotion that had its own identity now. And it had a face and it had an attitude. You know, no one cares about Eastern Championship Wrestling, but now you add extreme championship wrestling and got Shane Douglas who could talk and throwing down belts. It's got this attitude that you gotta remember early throughout the nineties there was that counterculture, right? People was you know, felt that throughout the nineties and ECW was representing that at
1: this point. So you mentioned the arena, ECW, um a place that I'd ever been to I wish I had gone to see ECW there. Uh, very iconic when it came to ECW. Um, have you been in before?
2: I've been there uh, numerous times over the years. Not for the ECW show. Mm-hmm. I was when ECW was in its heyday. I was too young to be going there because mm-hmm. it was it was wild. <laughs> it was <laughs> crazy, bro. Like it was not a place for kids. So even I, I, like I didn't know how to like buy tickets and stuff like that, or do anything like that back in, the, you know, this is late 90s, early 2000s, so there's no Google, so I was just like lost, I didn't know. But even if I did know, I doubt my mom would have taken me, because it was wild, like this was, the, the wrestlers were doing crazy stuff backstage, the fans, and for one, the building itself was just, it was just a building, it wasn't like no bells and whistles to it, there's no air conditioning, there's no heat, so that means in the summertime it's stanky hot, In the wintertime, it's freezing cold. Mm -hmm. It's packed full of people, mostly dudes, sweating, yelling. No. (laughs) Cursing. Not a family-friendly environment, but it was a perfect environment for ECW.
1: The world's famous bingo hall. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I see. The world's most famous bingo hall. 2300 Arena. Philadelphia. South Philadelphia. Philadelphia
2: the crazy thing about that building is that it's completely shedded or almost completely. I would say it's got 2% of the ECW history still in it, but that's minor. Like back this, for one, it started out just as like a, a great warehouse back in like the seventies where mm-hmm. like trains would come through and drop stuff off and it would be a warehouse where it would store that stuff. Then it tended to apparently like a, uh, a place for the mummers. I don't know if you ever heard of the mummers. That's a real Philly thing mm-hmm. nope. where it's like these, What's that? No, I said no. Okay. uh, It's like a real, like, it's like a a group of people, mostly Italians, I believe, down in South Philly, they get together, they do, Mm. uh, they play instruments, they have a parade every year on New Year's Day. I don't know if you saw, if you remember the Eagles Super Bowl parade, and Jason Kelsey was wearing that green outfit with the hat, Mm -hmm. and they look crazy. That's a mummer's outfit. So, you know, he's he plays, I think he plays the saxophone, something like that, so that's why kind of his connection with the, like he don't, I don't know, he's not a mummer, but he, they play instruments, he plays an instrument, so that was like his kind of connection to it, and he represented it, it was a very Philly thing, no one knew what it was outside of Philly, so it takes some explaining, but they had like their rehearsals there, and they would hold bingo, that's where the bingo, the bingo hall thing comes in, because they would hold bingo at that building to raise money.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So, that's what it was before ECW started running shows there. I don't know if they were still running Bango uh, during ECW's run, but that's what it was definitely beforehand. And since then, like I said, it's completely transformed in numerous cases. I guess we'll talk about, I don't want to talk about it right now, but uh, it's, like I said, it's shedded pretty much all of its ECW roots outside of a mural that's in the men's bathroom. um, That's it. That has like, that's it. That's that's pretty much it. It has a moon wow. in the men's bathroom that's big on this one wall and it says ECW and I believe white letters with like barbed wire wrapped around the letters and blood splattered on it. Uh, I think it says ECW 90, 1993 to 2001. Other than that, no real... Oh, and they got the hardcore... They had the, what's called the Hardcore Hall of Fame. So they have mm-hmm. these bandits hanging up throughout the arena with the Hardcore Hall of Fame. So you got like Terry Funk... Meanie, you know people like that who that have been duck- inducted into <laughs> the Hall of Fame. Right, they have their banners hanging from the rafters. But other than that, there's really not much there that says this was the ECW arena.
1: So, so how you know for the for the for the young for the younger go- audience and everything. So, like, how important and how impactful was it for the ECW arena to be for ECW? Like, how. Like what's the what's the impact and the legacy of that building for ECW when when it was running?
2: It was it was home base. It was a home field. It's like the Eagles we play at Lincoln Financial Field. Well, ECW they played at the ECW Arena. Yeah, they played other places too, but home field was on the corner of Swanson and Ritten in South Philly. Uh, they if they really wanted to ha- uh, if they if they closed ranks, that was one building they would run. I mean, they, and they really ran into some trouble when they started running outside of Philly, New York, and, you know, air, buildings in the area. Because they were in New York too a lot, in Queens, I believe. Um But, yeah, that was home base. And that's where pretty much their, you know, quote-unquote revolution, that, that's that's what got televised and projected out to the world. Uh And for Philly, ECW was like the home team. It was like the, that was like the home promotion.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, there's just as much we root for, the Eagles, Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, they rooted for ECW. And, you know, again, this is the 90s, this is counterculture time, this is South Philly, people like to drink, people like to have a good time, and ECW was a place where people could do that and watch some wild wrestling too. (laughs) So it just fit the the town perfect. The town is, you know, you always hear it in the TV shows and Mm -hmm. it's gritty and it's blue collar and it is, don't get me wrong, it's also a very beautiful city and very historic and, uh, great restaurant scene and great art scene, but it, it does have its roots in rooted in blue collar, hardworking people and who have an edge to them, got an attitude to them. And ECW had all that in spades.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned Wild earlier, <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? That no. was crazy. I mean, that's the best way that's I can put it by keeping it without saying, you know, in great graphic detail stuff that we saw on ECW TV. On
1: pay per view, right? Um, I mean, I wish I, I wish I went there to see one ECW show. You know how McMahon, you know, he always calls the Garden his home. Nitro never really had a home like the the, the main arena they always go to for big time shows. You know, the, the Garden was was uh, home for McMahon, but the ECW was home for Paul Heyman. I mean, the arena was home for ECW. And, and Paul yep. Heyman and just so many crazy things happening. Um, and just to, you know, stay on Heyman for a second, the fact that, you know, he had a certain vision for ECW. Um, and again, you have raw nitro right there in the middle of the Monday Night War, the middle of the Attitude Era. And you still are there putting out this content that's you know is different it's counterculture it's innovative it's crazy it's violent and you're catering to an audience who wants to see that because of what tv was bringing you at that time is it was like mtv just in the middle of a fucking ring and (laughs) exactly exactly um, you know a young audience 18 to 34 um Hardcore, like I didn't see hardcore with McMahon or Bischoff. I was seeing it with Paul Heyman. So like kind of giving Paul Heyman's flowers for the vision of ECW, but like how how iconic, how legendary was Paul Heyman to this whole success of ECW?
2: He capitalized on what the world was doing at that point. The world was, like you said, counterculture, MTV, Jerry Springer, that type of stuff, all those Mediums and shows were wildly popular in the '90s, and he just had his finger on that pulse. Uh, projected it out with ECW, and it had a a modicum of success. I wouldn't say it, it you know, it changed the world at, at in the '90s and the early 2000s. I think the, the impact of ECW goes well beyond, like well beyond that. Mm. But in that moment, it had some success, and it worked within the realm of wrestling. But he was really good at motivating people. He's really good at getting the best out of people and hiding people's flaws you know he would literally and i think people saw this really in in you know in full when they um watch like beyond the mat right when he when they covered terry funk and you see him literally climb up to the top of this perch and give this you know win one for the gipper speech before they did barely legal and he did that a lot apparently that wasn't the only time he did that he didn't just do that for the cameras that was his style It's given those you know rah rah speeches and firing people up to go out there and jump through a table and use a barbed wire bat and get slammed through a flaming table and jump off a balcony. You might, I mean, it was smart. You might have to motivate some people to do that stuff. But those guys, I'm not sure if we really had to because those guys were ready to do it because they wanted to get over it. They wanted to be stars and they felt like that was the only way they could do it. But Paul Heyman was definitely, you know, pulling those strings creatively. And from a motivation standpoint, he's like a head coach almost, mm-hmm. you know. And he was preaching almost like there's a lot of different things back there. But he had a good, vi- he had a great vision for that time, uh, and and it worked beautifully in that time. I'm not sure if you can't, I don't, you can't replicate ECW in 2020.
1: Oh no, no. In the ninth,
2: it worked and it was it worked perfect.
1: Now, you mentioned something. You mentioned barely legal. Now I I I, <laughs> I want to say this. Now this is 1997 that puts me at 14, 15 years old. So you know pay per views every month for uh, for McMahon and Bischoff going off. Uh, Summerslam, Rumble, Mania, um, Super Brawl, Starrcade, Fall Brawl, Halloween Havoc, and then comes Barely Legal, right? So yeah. I keep it real. So I, at the time, uh, my dad knew a friend that had like the illegal kibble boxes. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wasn't paying 30 cash uh, a month or tell my dad and mom, yo, cough up 35 cash for WrestleMania back to back. No, know, we, we weren't doing that. So long story short, he said, yo, I know you watch wrestling. And, you know, the boxing when Tyson was still there, Holyfield, all those matches. We're going to get this box that you can watch everything on pay-per-view for free. So, I bet. So, just around this time, probably a month prior, we got the box. So, I wasn't paying shit back then, bro. And, at this time, (laughs) Barely Legal was on. And, I think it's very, you know, just to kind of give in context how influential that was because... For a cable company to put this kind of show on pay-per-view, like either they had a lot of faith in what ECW had or somehow felt forced to, to do it. But either way, regardless, I think that was a very monumental thing to happen for ECW where it you know, it's counterculture against the grain is one thing to have it on um, on TV at two o'clock in the morning. But when you put on pay-per-view and asking people to pay $29.99 to buy the show, that's a big, major step up. And that happened on, on April 13th, ninety seven, Barely Legal, the first ever ECW pay-per-view show um, with, with Taz and Sabu in the main event. Um, I know you did not see it live. I know you probably seen it later on the network or whatever. But talk about how important it was for Billy Legal to become the first ever ECW pay-per-view.
2: That was like ECW Super Bowl right there. That was like the crowning moment at that point. It took a lot of work for them to get that show on the air on pay-per-view. Like they had, I think they had a show lined up, wasn't it? Like the, they had a show lined up and like the mass transit incident happened and they got booted off from pay-per-view or something like that. And that was, I mean, I can look it up, but, you know, that, that was a lot of work for them uh, to get to that point with trying to get clearances and trying to get on certain pay-per-view outlets and whatnot. And then for it to finally happen after all that time, after all that work, that's a, that's a moment. I mean, I think, you know, people were crying after the show, like, you know, cause it was like they had finally did it. They finally made it to that promised land of pay-per-view. And I guess for them, this is like, this is only the beginning. This is, this is our next step up into the big time, which they did. They kind of went up. They started running more buildings and more cities. And, uh, they got the TNN deal, uh, all after barely legal. But, uh, that, to that point, that was like their seminal moment. Like their Super Bowl. Their I mean, WrestleMania times 10 for them. Cause this was, they didn't know if they were going to have another one. And they pulled it off. And I think like the generator or the, 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 the truck, that's the satellite truck or whatever, like, the electricity blew out of it, something like that, like maybe right after they went out the air or something like that. Like they barely made it. It was barely legal and they barely made it off the air in time. But yeah, that was it was huge. I mean, that was that was like I said, the seminal moment to that point for ECW.
1: Now, listen, man, I think people are if they never seen barely legal. Shit, <laughs> they gotta go in and check it out because that was so different, man. Again, you see an arena with two thousand people. It's not uh, the 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 Georgia Dome where Ho- uh, Goldberg beat Hogan and stuff like that. It just, but still, it felt like it. it, it it's like it, it's like what NXT is now, but not hardcore. It's like yeah. it's just a different time, a different era, just something unique and different and, and, and innovative that that was not going on. And that and all the props go to Paul Heyman for that, all the people involved in that. But to get that show up and running to be on pay per view was a massive step up. And I think they did that, the Heat Wave, uh, what was it? Wrestle Palooza, some other show that I, right. I seen November to remember. November to remember. What else they got? Um oh man. What else they had?
2: I think they got guiltiest charge at some guilty point. As like they've had a couple shows. Wow! But it's, it's funny you mentioned NXT, and I guess to try to relate it to something that's current for people that maybe unfamiliar with ECW. Mm-hmm. To me, I kind of related to how it was for NXT to to go to Brooklyn for the first time, because that was like their first like mm-hmm. big arena show. Right. Remember, they did nothing but pretty much uh, full sale shows before that. And then they did Brooklyn, and it was like a big deal for NXT to have been willed up to this point. NXT was never supposed to be, at least at, at the beginning, an arena type of brand where fifteen thousand people show up
0: mm-hmm.
2: and want to see Bailey versus Sasha Banks, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, you, you know, whoever. Right. And then they there they were, and it was a big deal. It was like a seminal moment for NXT. That's that's going to go down as like a seminal show for NXT. Well, imagine that times like ten H T W because. They don't have WWE's backing. They're solely independent. They're an extreme product. They're a niche product that's only for a certain type of people. They were scheduled to have a pay-per-view before, got pulled off the air. Here they are. They're working on, like I said, a shoestring budget and a terrible building at that point, at least. Uh, you know, it, it, it barely made it happen. You know, it was just it, so many crazy things that led up to that point. And for them, it was like this... Wow, here we are. It was, like a, it was like
1: a mountaintop moment for them. I'm actually looking at the card for barely legal. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, man, RVD, Landstorm, Shane Douglas against uh, Pitbull, number two, Taz, Sabu, Terry Funk defeated the Sandman, and Stevie Richards with the blue meanie, and uh, then Terry Funk beat Raven for the world title. Um, The Dully Boys were on there. The Eliminators was on there. Full Blooded Italians. Wow. Wow. Yeah.
2: That was, they put everything they had into that show.
1: Major throwback. Okay, so I thought Taz and Sabu was the title match. It, it, it wasn't. It was Terry Funk and Raven. Okay.
2: Yeah, Taz and Sabu was like a grudge match. They had built up for like a yeah. year, I believe.
1: So and they had finally
2: had, made it happen at Barely Legal.
1: They had Barely Legal, then they had Hardcore Heaven, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: November to Remember, Um, Living Dangerously.
2: Uh, Yeah, I forgot about Living Dangerously. That
1: was tough, too. They had
2: those shows, I think, in Asbury Park in New Jersey, I believe.
1: Asbury Park Convention Hall, you're right. Uh, Russell Palooza, Um, Heat Wave, Guilty as Charged, Mm -hmm. Anarchy Rules.
2: Oh yeah, that was that was near the end. Yeah, <laughs> you, you sound they're put, they just putting a insane. Z on the end of show names. Anarchy rules with a Z. It's like all right.
1: Yeah, and then uh, massacre on Thirty Fourth Street in, in, in two thousand,
2: mm.
1: and the final pay per view for that ECW was guilty as charged in January of two thousand one at the Hammerstein Ballroom.
2: Mm. Mm. So, you're not going to talk about December to December? That's
1: not what you're going to talk about? No, I'm not talking about that ECW on <laughs> sci fi. No, we're talking about the real, legit. No, we, we, can skip that. we can skip all the way past that. Um, I'm trying to find a uh, matter of fact, I had it. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to catch you off guard real quick. Let me see if you remember. Um, okay. Hmm. Got it right here. I'm trying to find out. I'm not trying to count that ECW um, on sci fi. I'm trying to get the original. So, do you know the first-ever and the last-ever ECW champion?
2: The first-ever? So, we're counting from, I guess, Shane Douglas, I would assume.
1: Well, I'm counting right? from...
2: Oh, we counting from, I think, Snooker? was the first, like, Eastern Championship wrestling champion? No. Champion, I think. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: yeah. Snooker, Snooker was... The NWA champion and Eastern uh, Eastern Championship Wrestling champion. So forget about him. I'm talking about the first ever Extreme Championship Wrestling champion. So I, I, I'm guessing you're counting Shane, right? Right,
2: Shane Douglas. I would assume would be the first Extreme Championship Wrestling champion. Okay. And the last one would be Rhino, right?
1: Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch you off guard, but I have. I think, because they had the Sandman here, but I guess Sandman beat Shane. And, yeah, um, yeah,
2: Rhino, I remember, because, um, I remember they talked about that a lot in WWF TV when they had, like, the Alliance, and Paul Heyman would be on the, uh, on the commentary and be like, Rhino, he's the, the last ECW champion, blah, 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 and you go crazy for him, but as you should, Rhino was dope back in the day, but, um, uh, still is dope, but, um, but yeah,
1: I, I never forget that when it comes to rhinos. That's an easy one to remember. Hardcore TV. That was that was the show shown on TV. That was the one we saw at two mm. o'clock in the morning. Hardcore TV. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I think the one moment I recall was when was when Steve Austin went there from WCW, and he cut the massive promo on just about everybody: Hogan, Bischoff. WCW, Everybody, and he still had the long blonde hair. And Paul ham was like, "Yo, I give you the, I give you the platform, I give you the backdrop, I give you the microphone, I give you the camera, and you say whatever, whatever you want." And and, and, and Steve Austin laid out this fucking legendary promo that you won't see nowadays. You probably haven't seen since, and. To me, I think that's where I saw, I saw Stone Cold for the first time. Now, I know he was with, uh, with Pillman in WCW as the Hollywood Blondes. I did not see that portion of Steve Austin. I saw him first on ECW TV at 2 o'clock in the morning cutting that promo. Do you recall that promo? And if so, which I know you do, um, how, how important was that for Stone Cold leading up to his run? as champion with, with, with McMahon and to becoming like an all-time great?
2: I mean, it, it was it was massively important. I think that's where Steve Austin found his voice, right? When WCW, he was a Hollywood blonde, like you said. He was this pretty boy, which it's funny to think about now, Steve Austin, you don't think of him as a pretty boy at all. But back then he was. He had a long blonde hair, which eventually he lost and made a short blonde hair. <laughs> but, um, you know, he – He's a Hollywood blonde from Texas. That wasn't really him. You know, he had a Texas accent, but he's mm-hmm. going to be a Hollywood blonde. Um, but then he gets to ECW and he finally gets to be himself for the first time. Because even when he first started out, he was just, you know, he was just starting. So he didn't have a character. He was just out there. He was stunning Steve Austin. He, you know, that was his first character. Um, so he kept that up until ECW. And that's when he finally shedded all that. It's like, you know what? I get to do what I want now. Because Paul Heyman, again, Paul Heyman has a lot of things, good and bad. But you got to give him credit for at least being able to say, to letting people kind of have their freedom creatively and kind All of right. search and find themselves, and, and and you know accentuating their positives and hiding the negatives. And he knew Steve Austin's positives was that he could talk. So it's he like, here, Steve, you know, do your thing. And he couldn't wrestle because I think when he first went to ECW, his arm was still messed up from from WCW, so he's still nursing an injury and. That's what Steve Austin finally said, you know, I'm going to just cut loose. And he did. And people, and, and it was like, oh, okay, there's something there. Of course, WWF didn't see that. They were just like, oh, we're going to bring you in and make you the ringmaster, the master of the ring. That's right. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> that's it, right. and gave him a manager and, and didn't even let him talk at first. You know, so it was like, you know, that's WWF. But, you know, Paul Heyman saw it and was like, All right, um, do your thing. But, you know, it took a while for that to happen in WWF because, they just like, oh you're just a good wrestler. So do your wrestling stuff. You're
1: the master of the ring. Ha ha ha. That's how Mr. Man was saying those. And you know, you are right, because Paul Heyman is, you know, considered to be a lot of things, and people who work with him and say certain things. But on the outside looking in, like people like me and you as a fan, um, we gotta give the guys credit. So for doing ECW for putting uh for putting ECW on on pay per view, for launching the careers of Rob Van Dam and Sabu and Rey Mysterio and Jericho and Eddie Guerrero and even the Cruiserweights and uh, Taz and I, I could be wrong, but I don't know who started the Cruiserweights. Was it was it Bischoff or Heyman? I don't know, but still, just um, doing everything he can to keep that to keep that promotion going to not not really not really compete against Nitro and Raw because they, they did have their rapport um ECW and WWF where they had their own invasion on Raw in 1997. It was like, oh, what's this? And you've seen ECW guys on Raw, and then you see some of the, the Raw guys on ECW. So there was like this working rapport with, with McMahon and Bischoff. So I think McMahon saw the value of of Heyman and what he was doing with ECW creating creating that, that, that counterculture in the mid in the mid nineties. So and plus McMahon knew like yo, I have Sean and Bret and Taker, but still I don't have I don't have that, that it factor. I don't have that wow like holy shit this is something brand new and different. So he saw what, what Paul Heyman was bringing to the table. So him just even doing that invasion on Raw in ninety seven shows how much he valued Paul Heyman and ECW.
2: I mean he valued it so much that he pretty much took that vibe and put it on WWF TV in 1997 98 with the attitude era. I don't I don't think I don't think anybody would be wrong in saying that the inspiration behind the attitude era was ECW. It's just that you know it worked for WWF to such a large degree because ECW didn't have the audience that WWF had but definitely took that style and then like you said, he definitely saw value in Paul and That's why he helped, you know, pay for pay some of ECW's bills. He was, mm-hmm. I think Jim Ross said he had a, a monthly or a weekly, you know, check that he would write for ECW every week in his expense report. So, you know, they definitely helped out, help ECW. And like you said, they exchanged talent. Sometimes guys would get sent to ECW that needed some more experience before they got brought up to WWF. Um so, yeah, they, they, WCW I and mean, WWF, I should say, always try to use different promotions as like a, a, uh, a kind of a uh, training territory, not training territory, but a developmental territory. And they kind of did that with ECW for a little bit of time, with, you know, and they eventually brought up like Al Snow and mm. they eventually sort of taking straight up taking guys, but like Dudley Boys and Taz and whatnot. But there was definitely a working relationship there, monetarily especially.
1: Um, a few more before I let you go. What are your, some of your favorite moments in ECW history?
2: Oh, man. Um, one would be the match between Taz and Bam Bam Bigelow. Just an insane match with uh, just so much wild stuff going on. Of course, that's when Taz uh, was on Bam Bam's back and they went through the ring in Asbury Park. Um, I would say, I think from that same show, Al Snow's entrance when he would come out with head and have <laughs> yep. a crowd full of heads. Like everybody's <laughs> holding these mannequin heads. Yep. And the song would be going and it'd be, it'd be a turn to a rave for like his entire entrance. I was like, yo, that's wild. Like this was, he was way more over in ECW than he was in WWF. And he was pretty over in WWF for a little bit, but like ECW, it was like a phenomenon almost. Uh, it was kind of wild. Um, so many good, great moments though. I mean, is Bubba Ray Dudley constantly antagonizing fans before mm-hmm. the matches? Um anytime New Jack showed up was a great moment. Um and he has beaten people up to uh natural born killers throughout mm-hmm. the match. Like the, the song would just play on the loop as he's as he's fighting people, which is like, who thought of that? That's genius. Like obviously you can't do that today, or you can't use that song today because of, you know, you gotta pay for it, but like who thought of Playing his song throughout his match, it just fit so perfect. It was like a music video playing out in real time. It was brilliant. But, yeah, so those are some of my favorite moments. And he had, had a hell of a lot of talent that still got uh, influence in the business today. They got Devon Dudley uh, backstage in WWE as an agent. Bubba Ray Dudley is still doing his thing. Rob Dam is still doing his thing. Tommy Dreamer is running uh, running House of Hardcore as a promotion, and he's still doing his thing. Um, Taz is in the AEW. Uh, don't, you know, so many other guys that got their start there, at least in the, in the states in ECW, like Ray Mysterio, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero. You know, all those all those guys that you knew and loved from ECW from WCW, I should say, got their start in, United, in the United States probably more often than not in ECW. Um, they had them all before WWF or WCW did. So, right. it was a place for to, you know get talent. They had some good actual wrestling, some crazy hardcore wrestling. Some revolutionary storylines, um, some crazy happenings. You know, people throwing chairs in the ring. Uh, you know, Terry Funk doing moonsaults, salts, New Jack jumping off of balconies. I mean, wild stuff. But uh, yeah, those are a couple of my favorite moments.
1: Um, we all loved uh, Jr. We all loved Jerry Lawler when they were doing the commentary on Raw the '90s and '2000s. Um, we love Tony Schiavone for Nitro. But I think the one guy we don't mention as much is, is Joey Styles, and I feel he, his style of announcing for ECW, like he goes, he's synonymous with ECW, and vice versa. And I know he was in in um, WWE for for a little bit, but when it came to ECW, man, his oh my god, and all this stuff is going crazy. Like listen, like if you. If you're watching ECW, you got to hear what Joey Styles is saying, how he, how he conducts the whole commentary. I think there's one guy we don't mention as much, but he's very synonymous with what ECW brought.
2: I thought he was perfect with ECW. I don't know if he fit quite as well in WWE mm-hmm. when he went there. He was okay, but I think for that style of wrestling and that presentation – and by being by himself, he would call those shows by himself a lot of times. Right. Yeah. Uh, he was he was a guy. He was perfect for it. So yeah, Joey Styles, at least for ECW, I don't know if he gets his credit for being the voice of ECW as much as uh, he should, but mm-hmm. he definitely was the voice behind. Oh, sorry about that. He was definitely the voice behind, um, you know, the promotion and those wild, crazy happenings that was going on. And uh, ECW at that point, like you said, when somebody go to a flaming table, he will pull out that "Oh my God!" and it was like, I mean, the hindsight maybe me a little cheesy, maybe a little over the top, but at that point, it was perfect.
1: So, do you have a favorite match? Do you have favorite matches? Is there is there a, a top three for you? Do, do do you have a Mount Rushmore of ECW matches? What do you got?
2: Oh man, I, I kind of <laughs> go back to. Man, I'm thinking of, like I said, that Taz-Bam-Bam-Bigelow uh, match. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. The one match, though, that I always think about was from Heat Wave 98. It was Rob Van Dam and Sabu going up against Hayabusa and Jensei Shinzaki for the World, for the World Tag Titles. And for those who familiar with Hayabusa... He was incredible. Like you want to see what Sabu got his style from? Mm-hmm. It was Hayabusa. Like he was incredible. He got hurt in in the ring on a tragic accident. I think he died a couple years ago too. Um, he died in 2016. But he was like uh, incredible in the ring. And uh, so watch that match. You got Sabu and Hayabusa and Rob Van Dam all them and Shinzaki flying around the ring. That that's one of the my the, my favorite matches in ECW. There's so many good ones and memorable ones, but I I would go to that one. That's one of my favorites.
1: I'm looking at it right now. ECW Heat Wave 1998. Let me go to it right now. Let me see. let see what's on this card. Taz beat Bam Bam Bigelow. As you mentioned, a false count anywhere match for the FT. That was the second.
2: That was a follow up match from uh, I think. Um, living dangerously this is the second match I oh okay
1: Falls so, Count Anywhere for the FTW world title RVD and Sabu uh, Hayabusa and Shinzaki as you mentioned for the two, uh, world tag titles uh, Tanaka against Mike Awesome Chris crazy Kim.
2: matches they had oh my god Kim. those matches Chris they're Kim. hard to watch today those Tanaka and Mike Awesome matches
1: mm. Chris Candido they were hit each other over the
2: head hard unprotected mm. With chairs. Yeah. And it's it's rough to
1: watch. <laughs> uh, Candido beat Lance Storm. Just incredible. I forgot about him. Uh, he beat Jerry Lynn. You had uh, the hardcore chair swinging freaks, Balls Mahoney and Axel Rodden defeated at the FBI. And the main event, you had Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman, and Spike Dudley beat the Dudleys. And. Okay, hold up. Bubba Ray, Devon, Big Dick Dudley. <laughs> yeah. Street yeah, fight. Yeah. ECW, baby, 1998.
2: They dig Dudley, Joel Gertner, and Sangai Dudley, man. And Jeff Jones.
1: <laughs> I did forget about that one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: you, you can skip did that one. I forget about that one. But the one uh, you the seen,
2: RVD Sabu and Hayabusa match in it was, it was a great match.
1: But the one you mentioned with Taz and Bam Bam, you said that's living dangerously, right?
2: Yeah, that was the first one I believe, and I think the follow up was at Heatwave in
1: '98. Okay, so this is 1990. Living dangerously was in March of '98. Bam Bam beat Taz for the for the world title. No, oh, world t- world TV title, right? I
2: uh, believe so.
1: Okay, Sabu beat the Sandman. Al Snow and Landstorm beat. Shane Douglas and Chris Candido in the main event. Dreamer beat Credible. RVD beat Tuka Scorpio. Tanaka beat Doug Furnace. Jerry Lynn and Chris Chetty defeated the FBI. And New Jack and Spike Dudley defeated the Dudley Boys and the Hardcore Chair Swinging Freaks in a triple threat, a a three way dance.
2: Yeah, and which New Jack song? Played throughout the entire match, it's fantastic. It's, it's like it's like watching like ballet, like like classical music. Like I wish you could have classical music over it too. But it's also it's just it's just beautiful. It's just art to me.
1: Okay, listen, it's artistic. I, I, I might have forgotten, but you're telling me in a 13 minute match, New Jack's theme song played the entire 13 minutes.
2: That's what happened. That's <laughs> as I can remember, remember. His song played the entire match on a loop throughout his match.
1: Oh, and it was wow. like
2: watching poetry in motion. And I, now if you watch on WWE Network it's not going to be the actual song see because they can't oh, not have the rights to it
0: but
2: maybe bad. if you catch it somewhere else mm-hmm. where they can just play that song it's it's like I said it's like watching Poetry in Motion man it's like watching Mozart in his prime, like it's beautiful bring a tear to a glass eye
1: right uh oh. do you have a favorite pay-per-view which one do you feel is, is the greatest ECW pay-per-view Mm. See, I haven't
2: seen them all, mm-hmm. but the, other the ones I have seen, it's between Living Dangerously, Living Dangerously, and Heat Wave, honestly. And mm-hmm. um, but for the significance, I would go with probably Barely Legal just for the significance alone.
1: Yeah, I agree. Listen, man, I I haven't seen these in a long time, so I know at some point during the summertime I, I'll check it out. Maybe I'll give you my answer, but I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you. I, I saw every pay-per-view last night, which I haven't. So it's been a while, but <laughs> I, I, I recall the names. I don't recall like what matchups happened um, on a certain card. But just like you said, just for historical purposes, I think pretty Legal would get the nod. Um, two more before I let you go. So, you know, you're a Philly kid and you see this ECW stuff and when they go defunct in 2001 and pretty much them and WCW goes out of out, of, out of business, um, one of you are going to tell me if you were around to really notice it and really feel like, man, like there's no more ECW around. So um, if you wasn't, that's cool. But if you were, how did you feel? How, how was Philly feeling when there's no more ECW around?
2: I'm sure people were sad about it. Because like I said, this was like the home team. It's like losing one of our teams here. And people will go to these shows and tailgate and sit in the same seats. It's just like at a normal sporting event. You have your season tickets and you sit in the same seats every game. That's how it was for UCW fans. So I'm sure that this was something that they did on a regular basis. It was, it was a tradition. It was their meeting spot. Uh, you know, the social club, so to speak. And they lost that. And, you know... There have been wrestling promotions to run in Philly at that building over the years, but nothing has duplicated what ECW was—not not even close to it. And like I said, the, the building itself has changed dramatically since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, like, cause I could talk about it in a second, but it's—you know—it's so much different than what it was. But uh, n- nothing could, re- could replace that. And like I said, that, that left a void in the city. I'm sure, from among the wrestling fans at least, among the ECW fans, left a void.
1: The last one I got for you is, what is the, um, I mean, we know what ECW is. We know what it brought to the table. Um, we know that the legacy and impact it had on the business, it changed what Nitro did. It changed what Raw did. Whether they want to admit it or not, they changed um, the landscape and they brought something new, innovative to, to, what, to what we were accustomed to seeing from wrestling. But for the average fan who's maybe... 15, 20 years old and don't know ECW, uh, who doesn't know the impact it had, doesn't know what ECW stands for, does not know Paul Heyman for, for running ECW, just knows him for running, uh, for, for coaching uh, Brock Lesnar. Um, how would you explain the overall impact and legacy of ECW? Oh, that's a really good question.
2: The impact. Uh, watch Raw in 1998 and look at the attitude era, and you'll see ECW's impact all over that show. From the feel, the look, the, the music, the vibe, it came from ECW. Um, uh, the triple threat matches or the three way dances, as they called them, that, I think that's an ECW innovation as well. But um, it just it was a time capsule back into the 90s of counterculture. And that kind of rebelling against the machine type of attitude that was permeating the culture at that point. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's an it's it's an exercise in in seeing how someone can capitalize and create a movement and, and and take advantage of a culture and a time period, which I think is missing from pro wrestling today, where they don't really necessarily have their finger on the pulse of what's happening. In today's society, and today's culture, all the time, it feels like wrestling is kind of dated to me, at least. Well, ECW was not that; it was, it was counterculture. It was, it was, it was hip in the nineties. Uh, so, if you, you know, there's lessons to be learned from that. I think, uh, as far as impact today, I mean, like I said, you see a lot of the guys who are still around, uh, still making money in the business, still wrestling, still having an impact in some way, shape, or form. Uh, all the extreme stuff that you see today. Uh, either came from ECW in the States or from the match death matches in Japan. Either one of them. I mean, it's the, the legacy lives on. Uh, there's no accident that the ECW DVD was like the top-selling DVD in WWE history. Uh, still might be the top seller to this day, I'm not sure, but at that point it was. Um, it was just, it, you know, it's just people talk about a groundswell and, uh, you know, the little engine that could. They're talking about, ECW that's what that was the first one and they had a run uh it faded unfortunately uh but I'm not sure if it could just itself anyway because you know you, you can't keep having those types of matches without people getting seriously hurt and I think people just kind of moved on from that style of violence on TV but um it, it was like a comment it came it was white hot for a while and then it kind of faded
1: hey you know what on that note, I think the way to cap it off is the fact that ECW, the real ECW, has not been around in almost 20 years, and still today, when, when they had crowds, people were chanting ECW, ECW, ECW. Yep. So, They're not
2: chanting WCW, they chant ECW. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all those chants you hear in the crowds, <clears throat> this is awesome, yep. holy, you know what, Like all that Catch started in ECW,
1: in the ECW, ECW. Holy in shit, the
2: ECW yeah. arena. In South Philadelphia, which, like I said, that building is radically different today. Like it's they have they have wrestling shows there. They have like Ring of Honor and other <laughs> independent promotions. But it's it, I, you know, and I interviewed the um, the general manager of the building some years back before like reopened and rechristened itself as a twenty three hundred arena.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, it. he specifically said, like, we're not going to have like the hardcore stuff here. Like we're a family venue. So we're going to have wrestling, but we're not going to be known as a wrestling venue. And he was right. He lived up to his word. Like they have boxing shows, they have MMA, Mm -hmm.
0: and
2: they're both, it's a great venue for both of those because it's very intimate. And I know you like boxing, so it has like that real, like prize fight, like smoky room kind of feel. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like those are, you don't find those venues around too often. Uh, especially in major cities, you don't see those like intimate prize fighty type of buildings, but 2,300 arena is that. So if you want to see young up-and-coming fighters in Philly, Mm -hmm. 2,300 arena is where it's at. Uh, They have concerts, they have beer festivals. And then what surprised me out of nowhere, they had the the Super Bowl ring ceremony in 2018 for the Eagles, which when I first got that email in my inbox that we were going to have a ring ceremony there, I was like, what the hell is happening? I mean, how are we <laughs> going to change this building? Because like the ECW Lena is notoriously known for rest- to wrestling fans mm-hmm. as a dump, a complete dump,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: it was at one point. But it's it's a nice building now. Like it's not like fancy, but it's a nice building. There aren't any bells and whistles really in there, but it's a right. it's a very competent, fine building. So when I'm thinking like we're going to have like a ring ceremony. Like, okay, you know, we're going to have the nicest place in Philadelphia. Like, wherever that is, that's where we're going to have this at. Boy, I can't wait. It's going to be fancy. It's going to be nice. And then I get the email and it says 2300 Arena. I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? Like, how? Wow. Why? <laughs> what are we going to do <laughs> like, <why? laughs> in this building? <laughs> like, right? like, I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And all my coworkers are like, I've never even heard of this place. I'm like, y'all don't even know what happened there back oh, in the 90s. Yeah. Like, that was the ECW Arena. Like. Mm-hmm. Rob Van Dan was in New Jack. I don't even know. They're like looking at me like I'm crazy. They have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. I'm like, well, I guess you'll see it when, when we get there. But when we, when me and my girl pulled up, it looked nothing like it normally does. Like they redid really the whole thing. It was like palatial, and like the inside and the outside was like palatial. I'm like, damn, the the building that came up, it's nothing like it used to be. Um, so it's pulling in, like I said, major events, mm-hmm. and and even somehow, I don't, still don't know how this happened to this day the Eagles ring ceremony that the first Super Bowl ring ceremony ever for the Eagles was at the 2300 arena and people, you would, it was unrecognizable. If, if wrestling fans had saw it that particular day, they wouldn't even know what it was. It's like mm-hmm. this can't be the same building. Like it was like the most expensive block party of all time. Like it was wild, <laughs> but I, I still don't understand how that even happened. <laughs> I still, like to this day, like why, <laughs> but hey, it, it worked out. It was great. Great venue for it. It worked out in the end. We had a good time. It was a great big space for us to sit down and watch these videos. Right. we out our rings and go back outside and party and all that. But it's just wild to, to, to how the history of that building has come from a freight warehouse to a mummer's spot to a bingo hall to the wild and crazy times of ECW to that night. It's just like, how did we even get here? But I wrap it up on this note. Mm-hmm. Even on that night. I went to the men's bathroom and I I looked for that ECW mural and I found it. And it's on my Twitter somewhere. And I took a picture in front of that mural because why not? Like it's still ECW arena and it's still got the ECW mural in the men's bathroom. Mm. And no matter how much that building changes and what comes to that building, whether it's a ring ceremony or a beer festival or concert, whatever, it will always still carry that legacy of being the ECW arena.
1: Absolutely. Um, I can't end on a better note. Uh, Vaughn Johnson, the digital platforms producer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, always a great pleasure to have you on the platform to talk about basketball or wrestling. Um, this was fun, man. Going going back in time, talking about ECW. Again, I like doing these shows to talk about certain things and topics that don't get brought up as much. We always talk about the same, uh, same things here and there, but you know, ECW, we we, we, we had to give its love, its credit, and I felt like me and you did, you know, we we, we did the best we could, and you're going back in time and, and talk about the, the essence and the impact and legacy of ECW. So I thank you, man. You can follow him on Twitter at Vaughn M. Johnson, again, the digital platform producer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Good luck this season. Uh, if there is one, Good luck. I hope this uh they, they really, you know, tight shit up over there so we can have some good football and bubble or not, you know, we'll 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 get some football, you know.
2: Yeah, that's the hope, man. That's that's the hope.
1: That's the hope, man. Vaughn Johnson, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me. No problem, man. Take it easy.